Hello, sleepyheads, and happy holidays, including Happy New Year. This week, we're bringing you one of our favorite episodes from 2023 with Linda Holmes from NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. Linda will detail the rundown of characters from the first season of the television program Melrose Place. All of us at Maximum Fun and Sleeping with Celebrities hope that you have a 2024 full of wonderful, restful sleep. To put your mind more at ease and ready for sleep, I suggest you donate to Sleeping with Celebrities, because we need your help. It does cost money to make the show, and without contributions from listeners like you, well, you just have to be awake a lot more, and no one wants that. If our show has ever been helpful to you in getting to sleep, or just having an entertaining listen, we need to hear from you. Just go to MaximumFun.org join and find a level that works for you to donate. Then select Sleeping with Celebrities from the list of programs. It's super easy to do. You'll sleep better, which is what we all want. All right. Enjoy this episode with Linda Holmes. Settle down now and get comfy. You're about to sleep with a celebrity. Let your weary mind be free. And someone kind of famous who you can't see. It's time for sleeping with celebrity. Hello, sleepyheads, and welcome to Sleeping with Celebrities. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. And here on this audio program, we invite our guests to step out of the limelight and into the nightlight. On this show, for one bedtime, I don't want them to bring their A-game. I want them to bring their Z-game. This is a podcast where you can sleep or you can simply relax. You can take a break from stress and intensity. Tonight, we'll be sleeping with Linda Holmes. She's a pop culture correspondent for NPR and one of the hosts of Pop Culture Happy Hour, as well as a best-selling author. Just ahead, Linda will tell me about a certain television show from the 1990s. Melrose Place came on the heels of the end of the nighttime soaps of the 80s and the great success of Beverly Hills 90210. So we're going to talk about the the original cast and this sort of almost original cast members who came in in the in that first season as they tried to sort of shuffle things around. But before all that, I invite you to settle in and get comfortable while I tell you about another show on the Maximum Fun Network. <laughs> Sleepyheads, I wish to tell you about another podcast here on the Maximum Fun Network. It is called Stop Podcasting Yourself, a Canadian podcast hosted by comedians and friends Dave Shumka and Graham Clark. Every week, guests from the world of comedy join the hosts to joke around. It was the very first podcast to join the Maximum Fun Network back when Max Fun 
was a fledgling network. It features a regular segment called Overherds, where hosts and guests all share wonderful and funny things they have overheard and or seen. So you can listen to Stop Podcasting Yourself here on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Linda, I'm excited to learn about each of the original Melrose Place cast members and how they exited the series. As I'm sure listeners know, the original cast of characters from season one included Jane Andrews, Michael Mancini, Matt Fielding, Jake Hansen, Billy Campbell, Allison Parker, Rhonda Blair, Sandy Harling, Joe Reynolds, and Amanda Woodward. In the business of show, this is what is known as an ensemble cast. Ensemble. It's from the French word ensemble. There are a lot of TV shows with ensemble casts, including shows you mentioned earlier, like Beverly Hills 90210. Yeah. I'll hasten to add, however, that ensemble casts aren't just limited to nighttime soaps. Mm -hmm. The situation comedy Friends, for example had an ensemble cast, and lest the listener assume only American shows feature ensemble casts, that is not the case. The original The Office was a British show, and the American version, also an ensemble, was based on the British show. It is. So, Linda, which Melrose Place character do you want to get into first? So the first neighbor that we're going to talk about is Rhonda. Rhonda um, was the only black character on the show when it started. Um, I think the only black character, regular character in the main credits that it ever had. Um, she was a trained dancer. She, uh, but she taught as her vocation. She taught aerobics. Specifically, she taught something called cardio funk, which was the um, you know, one of the outgrowths of aerobics that came out of the fitness crazes of the, the 80s and 90s. So uh, Rhonda taught cardio funk. She, um, she was sort of a, a good, supportive friend, um, as often happened with um, when there was representation of anybody other than a straight white person on television at that time. You know, she she uh, got stuck in a lot of uh, supporting um, plots. But eventually, um, by which I mean sometime in that first season, Rhonda met a restaurant entrepreneur, and he swept her off her feet. And at the end of the first season, Rhonda uh, left and got married and went off with Terrence, the restaurant entrepreneur, and got out before uh, things on the show got really out of hand. Okay, so that's how that's how Rhonda left. Yeah, so that was Rhonda leaving the show. Um, also, we have to talk about Sandy. Sandy uh, was a blonde actress, 
And although the person who played Sandy was from New Jersey, Sandy herself uh, was a Southern, uh, sort of a Southern belle. She Mm. had the television accent that is this sort of uh, the hee-haw Dubois, where you get the, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that from different pop culture interpretations of Southern people. So Sandy, sometime during that first season, was discovered by a soap opera uh, casting guy. And midway through the first season, Sandy exited and she went off to um, be an actress on a soap opera, which was sort of oddly self-knowing. So who was the actress that played Sandy? Her name's Amy Locaine. She's from New Jersey. Okay. And so her character, the actor, is from New Jersey. Yeah. And named Sandy. Yeah. And is the character an actor? That's exactly right. Sandy, the character, was an actress from the South. And then on the soap opera, she leaves to go be on a soap opera. Yes, that's right. A moment of self-awareness. Yeah. Amy Locaine was also uh, in this delightful 1994 movie, Airheads. It starred Brendan Fraser and Steve Buscemi. Amy Locaine played the girlfriend of Brendan Fraser. Her character's name in that movie was Kayla. Yes, it's true. Okay. So Rhonda, who teaches cardio Cardio funk, leaves Melrose Place to get married. married. And she Mm -hmm. was played by the Vanessa Williams who didn't win Miss America. You can't be married and, and live in Melrose Place. Well, you can, but um, I think if you're trying to leave anyway, a way that sometimes people leave is they leave their swinging mm. single life and, uh, and they go off to be married. And is Melrose Place an apartment building? Yes. Okay. It's an apartment building. As you know, Los Angeles is famous all over the world it because is. so many movies and TV shows are filmed there. Yeah. I'd even go so far as saying the city itself is a character in many of these productions. With Melrose Place, I'd go so far as to say that both the city and the apartment building are characters. Could you describe the architectural style of Melrose Place? I am terrible at describing this kind of thing. Okay. I would um I would describe it as having a kind of uh, stucco. I mean, it's very Californian stucco um, archways kind of architecture in some ways, but it's also just kind of an apartment complex. Okay. So I think it might be what some people building in California thought was kind of Spanish-inspired. I don't know exactly how. Uh, whether there's any or much authenticity to that, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind. I imagine there are more characters on the show than Rhonda and Sandy. Oh, yeah. Oh, there were a lot, yeah. So one of the people that Sandy dated was one of the other apartment complex guys, and his name was Jake. He was played by Grant Show, and Jake was the 
the leather jacket bad boy, which mm. you can tell by the fact that he fixed his motorcycle in the courtyard of the apartment complex all the time. Was he doing motorcycle maintenance or did he have an unreliable motorcycle that broke down a lot? That's a really good question. The kind of thing that they do, it's really common, you know, on these kinds of shows to see guys working on cars or motorcycles or something like that. It's sort of how they convey to you that he's a, um, that he's like a working kind of guy and, you know, that he's, that he gets his hands dirty and all that kind of stuff, as opposed to being like a guy who works in an office. So I don't really know whether his motorcycle was constantly breaking down or whether he was restoring an old motorcycle. Um, Mm. But he eventually actually owned a motorcycle shop until until it burned down. Um, Okay, which was not which was not a a, a insurance fraud, although he was investigated for insurance fraud. Um, So Jake is one of the characters that lasted a lot longer and and we'll get back a little bit to the to the uh, arc of of Jake but um mm. first I got to tell you about Matt Fielding. Matt Fielding was played by Doug Savant and okay. Matt was the Matt was the gay character and this was a time when you didn't you know there still were not a ton of gay characters but yeah. Because he was a gay character on broadcast television in the 90s, he wasn't ever allowed to kiss anyone on on screen. Mm. And if you're on a show like Melrose Place and you can't kiss anyone, it kind of limits your options. So he had boyfriends and he yeah. got involved with people. But um, a lot of the time he wound up in these plots that were about uh, you know, issues in the news, like he, he got gay bashed actually twice. And he had, you know, stories about HIV and employment discrimination and things like that. There was even a story, there was even a don't ask, don't tell story about a guy that he was dating. So um, because of the way that they treated that character, he wound up having a limited bunch of options for stories. Mm. Now, Matt, he he started out as a social worker, and then he went to medical school. And while he was in medical school, he got uh, he dealt with an addiction to amphetamines. And um, then after a while, he had that treated, and he went on for a while doing different things. And then in the fifth season, he learned of the death of a previously unknown relative who had left a daughter to Matt in his will, which is something that oh. people on television think happens. But yeah. but his niece was left to, to him in the will. And so he wound up having to sort of uh, battle back and forth about whether he was going to take custody of this, this niece or not. He eventually did. And that's actually how he left the show is that he and the niece went off and moved to San Francisco um, because the show never really did know how to have Matt do anything that didn't sound like the most kind of obvious thing for your gay character to do. What was the battle about the custody? So the weird thing about being left his niece in the will was that his his brother's wife, the, the niece's mother, was still alive but she was in France, and so that somehow made her 
not part of it. But right. then she found out. Now, why you would be able to leave your kid to your brother in your will if she has a mother, I'm right. not sure. But the mother came back and said, briefly said, hey, maybe she should come live with me in France. And the kid who was a teenager was sort of, you know, yeah, maybe France would be fun. Mm. And so Matt had to figure out, am I going to fight the mother? So he, he sort of fought the mom for a while. And then he, he, the mom decided that, you know, being somebody who had been absent in France for all this time, maybe right. that she wasn't really ready to take the kid to France. So I believe she went back to France and then Matt took his, uh, his niece and they moved to San Francisco and sort of like being married. Uh, if you have a teenager you kind of run out of options on Melrose Place. Matt also along the way married a woman who was a, a doctor who was from Russia to get her a green card. Oh. Uh, and that lasted for a while. Do you know if the daughter ever regretted missing the opportunity to be bilingual or an expert at preparing sauces? Well, I don't think that they ever dealt directly with that. And the thing that's that's odd about the end of the story of Matt and the niece is that like a year later, so like late in the run of the show, they killed off Matt off camera, like without you ever oh. seeing him again. The other people who lived on Melrose Place found out that he had died. And it seemed like the purpose of that was just that it set up this other plot where one of them inherited his diary and so it got to be like another thing to have scandals about or something. But I thought it was kind of harsh. So what are you going to do? Linda, you're an attorney as well. Mm -hmm. You've mm -hmm. gone to law school. In, in probate situations, is the leaving behind of a diary a common thing? Should, should our listeners make sure to stipulate who will receive their diaries? I haven't practiced in, in many years and I'm not an expert in, in wills, but I, I assume you could leave your diary to someone if you wanted to. Yeah. And I do think there's always a risk of, you know, if you don't burn your diary at some point, then after you're gone, you should assume that some nosy Nelly will probably find it and read it. You should probably take the time to consider which apartment building you've lived in which recipients right. exactly you want to leave it yeah. to your old landlord i think that's what matt did doug savant later was on the desperate housewives show yes doug savant i think deserved better than the sometimes very limited opportunities to have fun that he had on on melrose he did a, a he did a bang-up job over there now i think at some point we're going to get to the two people I remember from this, remember being on this show. I've never watched mm -hmm. this show, but yeah. I remember there was a Heather Locklear and yes. there was an Andrew Shue. Yes. Okay. So we're going to move to the next apartment. Okay. Which was occupied. So the next apartment, the beginning of the show, it's occupied by this woman named Allison, who's played by Courtney Thorne Smith. And mm. She had a roommate who flaked, and so she needed a new roommate. And she found this um, this guy named Billy, and that's Andrew Shue. Okay. And B 
Billy at the time, if I remember, was um, teaching dance classes at Arthur Murray, even though he couldn't really dance, but it was the job that he had gotten. I think he was also driving a cab. Anyway. Were Billy and Rhonda cardio-funk colleagues? No. There just happened to be two people in the dance field who lived in the apartment building. Ah. So Billy became Allison's platonic roommate. This was at a time when a lot of people still thought the idea of heterosexual platonic male-female roommates were sort of avant-garde. We had been through Three's Company by that point. Yeah. It's true. Three's Company, of course, was a sitcom that came out in 1977 and lasted eight seasons. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it makes sense that an American audience would have trouble accepting a heterosexual friendship between a man and a woman. And it should have set a precedent, but people still kind of weren't. Three's Company, for whatever reason, hadn't readied all of the public for, for these roommates. But... They became platonic roommates, but then, of course, inevitably, they fell in love. They got engaged. Um, But during that first season, Heather Locklear played. So Allison, I should say, was the receptionist. Courtney Thorne-Smith. Yes. Was the receptionist for uh, an ad agency when this show started. Uh Um, And Heather Locklear came in to play uh, I think Allison got promoted a little bit and, and became a person who actually worked on advertising. And uh, Heather Locklear came in and was her boss. And so Heather Locklear was sort of this woman, Amanda, who was this uh, hard-charging, you know, 90s miniskirt suit, sort of uh, beautiful soap opera veteran coming from uh, Dynasty and some other places. Oh. And... Uh, so originally, Billy, who was living with Allison platonically, had an affair with Amanda, which of course made Allison very jealous, even though they were supposed to be just platonic roommates. I see. That was one of the things that led them to eventually get together. So they eventually got together and they got engaged, but uh, Allison had some some uh, long-standing issues she had to deal with. So she called off the wedding and they broke up. And uh, not that long after that, uh, he got involved with a a very ambitious young woman named Brooke. Can we back up? Yeah, for sure. Before we get to Brooke, you mentioned Allison calling off the wedding to Billy because of some long-standing issues. Yeah. What issues did Allison have to deal with? So Billy and Allison got together after he broke up with Amanda because he realized that he loved Allison. And she also had been, you know, dating different people. There was a married guy who turned out to be sort of monstrous who she was involved with and he was involved with other people. But then they realized that they really just wanted to be together. So the show's position was sort of that platonic roommates are a fraud, which is, as we know from Three's Company, not true, but that was sort of where this show went with it. And how did you, Linda Holmes, feel about Billy and Allison? Were they a good couple? Sleepyheads, it is time once again for me to tell you about another program on the Maximum Fun Network. Dead Pilots Society brings you comedy pilots 
that networks bought but never made, shows that you can't see or hear anywhere else because they were too good for TV. The pilots come from the top writers in television, writers like Adam McKay, Genji Cohen, and John Hodgman. They feature actors and comedians you love, like Patton Oswalt, Maria Bamford, Tony Hale, Tiffany Haddish, Molly Shannon, Will Forte, Rain Wilson, Carey Mulligan, and hundreds more. Dead Pilot Society also brings you in-depth conversations between Andrew Reich, Emmy-winning showrunner of Friends, and the creators of the pilots, giving you insider insight into the creation, selling, and development of television comedies. The program is Dead Pilots Society, available on Maximum Fun and wherever you get your podcasts. And how did you, Linda Holmes, feel about Billy and Allison? Were they a good couple? At the time, at the time, I felt I liked them as a couple. But I think when you watch it now, it's easy to understand that a lot of these people still had a lot of growing up to do. And they probably weren't really prepared to be getting married after a few months of dating at Melrose Place. Mm. Uh, And... You know, I think over time, what also became clear was for a lot of these people, it would have been beneficial to move away from Melrose Place because eventually some of them were living around a lot of people that they had had affairs with and things like that, which makes the barbecues get more and more tense and things like that. At a certain point, the, the bad boy appeal of someone restoring or fixing a motorcycle in a courtyard becomes just a signal that you're living somewhere a little sad. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's good to have an apartment complex with a pool and everything, but if there's constantly a guy sitting there with a bike, then it's kind of a little bit less classy or whatever. Do you know if he wore a helmet when he rode his motorcycle? You know, I yes, I think he did because typically the move on this kind of show was that you would have the guy wear a helmet yeah. because he could take off the helmet and then sort of shake, shake his, his hair. hair. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So so yeah, I think he did I think he did wear a helmet. Not so um, much for safety purposes, but for flourish. For glamour, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, it, 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 yeah. Um, so, so, so after Billy and Allison broke up, um, he got involved with this young woman named Brooke, who was played by Kristen Davis before she was on Sex in the City. She oh. was the dark haired uh, friend on Sex in the City. Yes. And, uh, and, uh, he got involved with Brooke and then Allison got involved with Brooke's father. Oh, who was no. played by Perry King, the handsome man who was once on Riptide in the a handsome actor, Perry yeah. King. Uh, Al- so Allison got together with Brooke's father and Billy got together with Brooke. And then not only did Brooke and her father both shuffle off this mortal coil, but they both oh. drowned within six or so episodes of each other in separate events. Separate incidents. Yeah, unrelated. Were they both bad swimmers? 
Is that what sealed their separate fates? It really, you know, one of them, his incident involved uh, falling off of his yacht. And mm. her incident involved um, falling into the pool uh, yeah. in the courtyard of the apartment building after doing having a little too much to drink. Wow. So they never really did establish the that there was any link, but these things happened very close together. Um, they did, uh, you know, the relationship between Billy and Allison would sometimes, you know, ebb and flow a little after that, but they never really fully got back together after that. And that was only partway through the, uh, that was somewhere around the fourth, I think fourth season. So they spent, you know, only a, a, a couple seasons of back and forth, and then they were done. They were done. Did they continue to live in the same apartment during these they, relationships? Yeah. yeah, they did. I mean, they would kind of, a thing that often happened was people would move out of, they didn't continue to live in the same apartment, but they would move around within the complex rather oh. than doing what a normal person would do, which is move somewhere else altogether. Uh, they just would move to other apartments in the building. Was there a landlord or a super functioning within the Melrose place? Well, yeah. This is the other element of the story of Amanda, the hard-charging Heather Locklear. Oh, yeah. Uh, she bought the apartment building. So oh. on top of everything else, in terms of being a very tough boss and... Uh, you know, a very uh, unforgiving businesswoman. She also became everybody's landlord. And they would actually have stories sometimes where she was going around asking about the rent, which is something you don't necessarily see on a lot of nighttime soaps. Yeah. But it, it lent a sort of an undertone of menace, I think, to her character that would have been difficult to establish in any other way. Being the hard-charging executive at, a, at an L.A. advertising company is a fairly – those are long hours. That's a hard job. And yeah, you've got to really take the, the time to prove yourself. How did she manage her schedule so that she could be managing not just an ad agency but, but an apartment building as well? Well, it was never exactly clear who was really doing the job of managing the building or particularly doing the repairs with a couple of exceptions. When the show first started before Amanda bought it, the two remaining residents we haven't talked about were the, the manager or sort of the unofficial kind of supers of the building. And so they would take care of things. Uh, Amanda did at one point hire a handyman of some sort. But he turned out to be creepy and was peeping on her in the shower. So oh. she had to trap him in her apartment and threaten him and then eventually call the police. They were going for a sort of a vengeful, uh, you know, get back at these creepy dudes kind of story. Is so that, I, I suspect Is that she the appropriate response? Do the police recommend that you trap the individual in your apartment or your house? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole thing was legally sketchy, mm -hmm. but nothing really ever happened from that. They just, she just did it, and then it kind of went away. It all worked out. Yeah, it all worked out. And okay. so 
Billy and Allison never really got back together, but Allison eventually had a romance with Jake. The motorcyclist, yes. Yeah. They eventually uh, got together. They got married. Oh. They had some problems, various marital issues. I don't even remember what all of them were, but uh, they had some problems and uh, they also were uh, struggling with infertility. As you can see, the show did maintain some interest in trying to cover things that were resonant with people's lives. Yes. So they had things like this couple struggling with infertility, but Allison decided that Jake really wanted a child. And since she thought she was not going to be able to have a baby, the best thing to do was destroy her own marriage and push him off with the mother of a child that he had with someone else who wasn't on the show, who they had kind of acknowledged in the past that this person was, you know, around and he was in touch with her. But, you know, she and the and the son were not on the show. But then Allison decided, if I can't have a baby with you, you should just go live with the mother of the son and the son. And that's actually how Allison and Jake both left the show. So I don't know what you said. So Jake yeah. has a son with a different woman? Yes. I yeah. see. With this other woman. And they had talked about it earlier in the show, a couple seasons earlier. They had yeah. had a story where this woman showed up and talked about how Jake had this son and Jake had met the son. And then they had decided that, you know, the son obviously was not going to come live at Melrose Place, but they would stay no. in contact and all that um, so the woman and the son kind of disappeared from the series for a couple of years. And then uh, they showed up again. Uh, both of them, I think, played by different actors, both the mother and the son, mm. um, came back into the picture. And Allison just decided that Jake would be happier with the woman and the son. So I think she acted like she didn't love him anymore and she didn't want to be married to him anymore. I'm not quite oh. up to that part in my rewatch, but that's my memory of what happened. She talked about how she didn't, she like made out like she didn't want to be married to him so that he would go off and have this life with the mother of the son and the son. Okay. And then how does that result in Allison leaving Melrose Place, both the, the building and the program? Yeah, after her marriage to Jake ended and Jake went off with this uh, these other people, mm. Allison decided, I guess, that she just wanted a fresh start and um, decided at long last that she didn't have to stay in the same apartment complex for her whole right. life. And she she departed for a, I, I believe... I believe it was just sort of a fresh start kind of situation once that relationship broke up. But really, it was because quite a bit of the cast left at the end of the fifth season. I assume that that was when the first round of contracts were up. Had expired, uh, yeah. Because a whole bunch of people left at that point. It seems like the characters maybe weren't aware that apartment buildings were on La Cienega or um, Santa Monica Boulevard. I'm 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 basing my knowledge of LA streets on I Love LA by Randy Newman. I don't know. I mean, I always felt like there were other places you could live. No. Yeah, yeah. But they usually didn't didn't do that. With the expiration of the contracts, was there a commensurate rent hike 
established by Heather Locklear's character? You know, there wasn't, but earlier in the series, she did go around and tell everyone that she had been going back and forth with the rent control board and she had oh. gotten approval to raise everybody's rent. Um, oh. And so she did implement a rent increase at one point to the point of talking about how she had accomplished it from a regulatory perspective, which if you think about it is a really interesting appearance of bureaucracy on a nighttime soap. Do you you know what the rent might have been at Melrose Place in the early 1990s in Los Angeles? I don't know. I think it was established my memory is that there was some sense that the rent was a few hundred dollars Mm. um but i don't really remember exactly if they said what the rent was it's probably higher now i I would think that it would be higher now you you mentioned uh, two other characters who you hadn't yet gotten to yes yeah please fill us in on those so the other the final uh apartment at melrose place uh, was occupied by Michael and Jane Mancini. Oh. And they were the young married couple. This was the show's effort to address what it was like to be a young married couple in L.A. Right. And, uh, Topical. Jane was an aspiring fashion designer. Uh-huh. She never designed anything that looked good to me, but mm-hmm. she was an aspiring fashion designer, and Michael was a young doctor. Oh. And so the some of their story in the first season was about the punishing routine of being a young doctor and the hours that Michael had to work and how hard this was on their marriage. He was basically a nice, decent husband, and she was a nice, decent wife. And they just were having trouble connecting because it's really this difficulty of not allowing doctors to have enough downtime in personal life, something that I think we still see reflected in everything from, uh, you know, medical, medical costs to the medical slice of the great resignation. Still yep. a lot of issues around that, again, timely in yeah. 1992 and even now. Uh, but at some point in the first season, around the same time, they decided to switch over and bring in Heather Locklear and get more soapy in that way. They did a full, full heel turn for Michael. And Michael oh. went from being this nice doctor. It began with him having a, an affair with a, a doctor that he worked with, whose name was Kimberly. Mm. Uh, she was played by Marsha Cross, who also, you mentioned Desperate Housewives, Desperate who was Housewives. also later from Desperate Housewives. Her name was Kimberly. She was played by Marsha Cross. Michael had an affair with her. It broke up his relationship with Jane. And shortly after the beginning of the series, we had also met Jane's younger sister, Sydney, who was kind of the typical bratty, rebellious, younger Uh sister. Uh, And after Michael's marriage broke up and he went off with Kimberly, and they did actually move. They went and bought a got a beach house. Uh, and moved out of the complex. So good for them, I say. Yeah. Uh, But after he got together with Kimberly, then he cheated on Kimberly with Sydney. Mm. So, um, and Kimberly and Sydney are both uh, 
kind of uh, 90s iconic redheads and it plays into Fiery. sort of te- Fiery televisions redheads. yes televisions and and, and popular cultures um, association of red hair with temptation and sin yes um, so after he cheated on Kimberly with Sydney then Kimberly told Jane he he's you know who and of course they didn't like each other because Kimberly had been the person who Michael cheated on Jane with and Kimberly went back and said well now he's cheating on me with your sister so this of course blew up oh. all the relationships between Jane and Sydney and everybody Sydney kind of became one of the other main characters in the show for is she sort of the bad girl with the heart of gold who you can't help but like that's very that's very fair uh Sydney over the time that she was on the show did a variety of uh, things. Um, she did uh, she did some sex work. She did some um, pantyhose importing at one oh, point. Uh, she did some light insurance fraud. Um, okay. And she was a receptionist and had some other odd jobs. But Sydney really struggled to be fully loved. And unfortunately, Sydney... Um, uh, eventually found someone who did love her who was this other dude who showed up later she she found somebody that she loved but on the day of her wedding she unfortunately left the church in her dress went outside the church and had an unplanned encounter with a reckless driver can i just ask pantyhose importing yeah so jane as i mentioned was a was a fashion designer. She eventually um, sort of had a design. It was never really clear whether the show understood the difference between design and manufacturing of clothes. Uh But Jane eventually was was making clothes in a sort of a, I don't know if I want to say office, facility, factory type of thing. Mm. And Sydney maneuvered her way into a a controlling interest in Jane's company. Suffice it to say, it's a long story. Sydney maneuvered her her way into that. And then some men approached Sydney and said, um, we want to import pantyhose and you will, we want to put your label on them and you'll get a huge profit and we're just going to use your label. And it was all very wink, wink. And the implication was that this was these guys were actually probably drug traffickers. And they were looking for Sydney to be a front for drug trafficking. They were going to yeah. pay her off for hiding drugs in pantyhose shipments. Yeah, you have to be so careful. Yeah. Yeah. In In your work with pop culture happy hour you you see a number of films you see a number of tv series it's it's part Mm -hmm. of your job Mm -hmm. as i mentioned i I never watched this show when it aired and similarly i'm not very familiar with other nighttime soap operas like dynasty or all my children but i would have to imagine there are quite a few nefarious pantyhose importer characters in other programs there's not um are you sure Yes. Because when I watched commercials for Dynasty, the actress Joan Collins 
seem to give off very strong, Mm -hmm. I've made a fortune laundering drug cartel money via a pantyhose factory type of vibes. Uh, Certainly, you know, there was a, um, there, there, there was a fondness for stories about the drug trade back then and there is even mm, now sure but i can't say i've ever seen quite this implication of a link with pantyhose uh although i will say as it turned out the entire pantyhose import thing was a sting that had been pulled off by jane so that when sydney began to think she was going to get in trouble for drug trafficking via pantyhose she turned, she disclaimed all interest in the company, thinking this was going to keep her from going to jail. But it turned out there never were any drugs and there never were any drug traffickers. It was all set up by Jane so that Sydney would push the company back to Jane, trying to get Jane to be the one who took the fall for the drug trafficking. Do you see what I'm saying? It was an elaborate hoax by Jane. Yes. Yes, because she knew that Sydney would selfishly attempt to get herself off the hook by putting Jane on the hook. But all that did was give Jane back the company. Had Jane considered just having a reasonable discussion with Sydney about the company and their different wants and desires? That is less the way that the show operated. Okay. I would say by this point in the history of the show, the way that most things were accomplished by most of the characters on the show was via blackmail. I see. And I think that Jane found something besides blackmail to use to get her company uh, back. Because by then, as I said, Usually people pursued their interests by nefarious rather than non-nefarious means, um, Mm. simply because I I think it was more interesting. Was it ever revealed how Jane uh, carried out the the casting and the scripting and the rehearsals for the fake uh, pantyhose smugglers? Believe it or not, it was revealed that the guys who were pretending to be the importers were, or maybe the guy who was pretending to be the importer and the guy who was pretending to be the FBI agent. Anyway, they were guys who Jane had met when she was casting her catalog uh, for her clothing line. So believe it or not, they attempted to ground this in some sort of reality that Jane would have found these guys who could play these parts for her in this sting. Among the original characters that we've discussed today, were there any cases of amnesia or long-lost, possibly evil twins? There was definitely amnesia. Michael had amnesia at one point. Um, My memory of how that came about was that Michael um, was hit by a car, driven by Kimberly, who by then hated his guts. They had a very love-hate sort of thing going on at Kimberly by then. Yeah, this is on the hate. Well, he honestly, he drove drunk and she had a terrible accident and he thought she was dead, but it turned off she, out she was just in Ohio recuperating. It's hard to tell sometimes. Yeah, so he went on for a while thinking that she was dead, so she blamed him because he had been driving drunk when they had this accident. So she came back 
really looking for revenge, but she presented it as, you know, I've come back to resume our relationship, but she was plotting against him the whole time. So she eventually hit him with a car, and he he wound up with amnesia. He didn't remember the accident, but he also didn't remember who anybody was. And mm. so all of a sudden, he was nice again. Did this have an impact on his his medical licensing or his ability to perform his doctor job? You know, nothing ever seemed to have any any impact on anybody's medical license. All yeah. of the various doctors and medical professionals on this show did various terrible things. Kimberly actually blew up the apartment complex at one point. She was also a doctor. Wow. She was very upset. She was very upset at that time. She blew up wow. the apartment complex, but then she later um, resumed treating patients, including as a therapist. So um, wow. she had a lot of issues. She... she um, uh, she has a kind of an iconic moment of um, revealing uh, that she's wearing a wig um, that's covering up the scars that she got from this recovering from this car accident that Michael drove her into. She had later a kind of a thing where she ran a, I want to say a sort of a, 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 a sort of a simulation of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with herself as Nurse Ratchet, which sort of nobody else had agreed to participate in. I'll just put it that way. It was done in quite poor taste, but mm. uh, she had many, many, she had many, many issues over time and unfortunately eventually um, died herself of a, uh, one of the main soap opera diseases, which is a soap opera brain tumor. Um, brain tumor, sure. Yeah. And I suppose nobody could write her up on Yelp at the time as this this therapist has blown up buildings. That's correct. Well, and there was a, a very interesting moment when she went into the, the 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 bar, the hangout of the Melrose Place folks that was owned by then by Jake the motorcycle guy who had mm. who had owned and burned down his motorcycle shop by then and now was the owner of the bar. Okay. And she she went into the bar after blowing up the building and going through a, a trial and a, you know, not guilty by reason of insanity and treatment and then coming out and all that stuff. And when she went to the bar, she said, you know, I'm really kind of nervous that nobody is going to want me around because of how I blew up the building and everything. Sure. And Jake pretty much said, I don't judge. And I, I have to admit, I thought that was uncommonly big of him, you know? I think people should judge so there was two buildings total blown up over the course of well the 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 bike shop was burned down burned down not exploded. the apartment the apartment building was blown up okay. um there was also a boat that was blown up at one point um yeah. uh actually i'm trying to think yeah there was one boat that was blown up was this uh, the boat that the the dad had fallen off of and drowned or a different boat? No, this okay. was a different boat. This is okay. a different boat. There were actually a couple of, of yachts and the boat had to do actually with the story of the remaining character who showed up about halfway through the first season who was a woman named Joe who was came from New York and was kind of the prototypical character from New York. So she wore a lot of black and had a lot of, you know, tough, tough, toughness. She was a photographer. Oh. And she eventually, she had a romance with Jake. She had a romance with Jake's brother, who was played by Dan Cortez, who used to be on MTV. As sure. Like a 
personality. Yeah. Um, so she had a romance with Jake. She had a romance with Jake's brother. She also at one point had a baby by a very bad person. And uh, then by the time she had the baby, uh, he had died um, because she killed him. It's a long story. It was self-defense. Oh, yeah. It was self-defense. Um, she killed him on a boat, actually. That's mm. that's the, the other boat. So uh, she, before she had the baby, his parents, and remember, she's killed him in self-defense. His parents sued her for custody of the baby before the baby was born. They got custody of the baby for some reason. But Kimberly who at that time had many personal problems, Yeah, uh, was supposed to help Joe have the baby and be able to run away with the baby, basically, mm. uh, and keep it away from the grandparents. But then instead of that, so Joe, Joe conspired to take the baby away from the grandparents who had gotten custody. But then Kimberly took the baby away from Joe. And oh. then Joe took the baby away from Kimberly and then the in-laws took the baby away from Joe and then a judge said somebody else entirely needs to raise this baby and the baby went off to have I hope a very wonderful wonderful life uh, with away a different family place. yeah away from Melrose Place Linda Holmes before we wrap up here I, I want to warn um our listeners that I'm going to ask about a hand coming up from the grave. And so um, it's an ugly story. So just be, be conscious of that. Yeah. Be, be prepared. And, and uh, I, and we'll just find out what's going on with this. Can you explain why there was a hand from the grave? Yeah. So um, Jane Mancini, doctor's wife turned uh, famous fashion designer. Yes. Eventually got mixed up with a guy named Richard who, by the way, was played by Patrick Muldoon, who you can see in, uh, among other things, uh, Starship Troopers. Oh, um, right. And originally Richard was kind of an okay guy, but then he became a very terrible guy and he assaulted Jane. And um, unfortunately, sexual assault is something that pops up on these shows from time to time as a plot yeah. point. And it is one of the things that I, I typically skip over, but that happened and Jane became kind of, um, you know, obviously was traumatized and was seeking revenge. Um, and she originally started off like she was going to try to to knock him off, but um, it all went differently. And as it turned out, Sydney, who was with her, uh, her sister, um, killed him, they believed, in self-defense. So they, in their black outfits, you know, very, very committing crimes on a soap opera, took mm -hmm. him out uh, somewhere and buried him and then left. And then at the end of the fourth season, his hand just came up whoosh, out of the grave. And uh, fortunately, his, um, his, because uh, then of course, he came back seeking vengeance on them. But uh, yeah. that was a short lived um you know, pursuit, and eventually he passed away by other means, I uh, believe, at the hands of the police, if I remember correctly. So it, it, it is an unpleasant story, but I do think that anytime you see an actual hand come up out of the dirt, mm. you've sort of seen a show put a a stake in the ground in a new place, if yes. I can say that. The hand that rises from the grave that then jumps the shark. 
Yes, very much so. But at the same time, it's commitment, right? If you're going to be doing these stories, you know, you asked about twins. I don't think I remember any twins, but they did have, you know, people with quote unquote, and you and I have actually talked about this before, quote unquote, multiple personalities. They had um, Mm. people with, um, you know, various issues of addiction and family estrangement. And, um, you know, they certainly did have relatives turning up that nobody had ever heard of. And I sort of feel like I would rather you commit to the broadest and silliest elements like the hand coming up out of the grave uh, because the other stuff can get awfully heavy. It's like putting the menu in the window of your restaurant. Like here's, if you come inside, here's what we're going to be serving you. Right. And I think past that point, when you see shenanigans of different kinds and, you know, people who, you know, blowing up blowing up buildings or whatever even though that happened before the grave but like all that stuff eventually just kind of begins to feel lighter because it is much sillier yes yes okay well now i i think i understand everything um and um thank you so much for linda for for giving us the full rundown on the original cast and characters of of melrose place linda holmes good night Good night, John. Well, sleepyheads, I hope you enjoyed learning about the original cast of Melrose Place as much as I did. One thing I like to do at the end of my day is make a a mental catalog of things that I experienced or learned. If you don't mind, I'm going to make a list and read it to you of the takeaways from my conversation with Linda I'm going to do that now while it's still fresh in my mind. 1. I should amend my will so that my diary will go to an appropriate recipient if I'm ever in an unfortunate boating and or swimming accident. 2. Blackmailing someone may not be as effective as a good faith negotiation with that person, but it is more exciting, and so I won't be doing that. 3. I may not need to actually ride a motorcycle to come off as a bad boy. I just need to walk into places, take a helmet off, and then shake my head. Note to self, buy long wig. (sighs) Okay, I'm going to turn in. Thank you for sleeping with me and my guest, Linda Holmes. You can follow Sleeping With Celebrities on both Twitter and TikTok using the handle at sleepwithcelebs. On Instagram, the handle is at sleepwcelebs. Our email is sleepwithcelebs at maximumfun.org. Social media assistance is provided by Charlie Moe. We get music from the Winterbowers. This program was senior produced and edited by Laura Swisher. Swish. This is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Night-night. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.